I know that we have gone really slowly through these first couple verses, um, and, I, and there's a reason for that. There's some very loaded and um, kind of complex um, concepts that are introduced there in that second verse, and I wanted to take the time to unpack those uh, a little bit. But uh, for danger of losing the forest for the trees or the individual pieces of bark, I want to zoom out today. And so I'm going to try and look at the first chapter, like maybe all of it. Um, So we're going to go a little bit faster. Um, and I think this is important because as we're reading these epistles, we need to we need to keep an idea of what what's the big picture, what's going on. Um, it, it it's easy to use these as the launching point, you know, taking that one word there and then going off and teaching another sermon, and and that's fine. It's fine to do it that way. But also when when you read First Peter, I want you to know what he's talking about. <laughs> um, and hopefully, by the time we get through this, when you go back and reread First Peter, you'll have a better understanding of what's going on. So, First Peter, starting verse one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And we've mentioned a couple times that's the northern half of Turkey. That's where Paul didn't get to go in person. Instead, the Lord sent him over to Greece and Europe. Um, but obviously, people have been there after Paul, and were teaching and preaching because he's writing this to believers. I mean, he's writing to. Uh, the elect, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit, under the obedience of the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. So that's where you're from, that's who you're to. He's writing to these believers scattered throughout this region, right? And he's requesting, as always, as any of these epistles, they tend to ask for the Lord to give them grace and peace. That's where your sources of grace and peace are going to come from. They've got to come from God. If you're looking for anywhere else, you're looking for a faulty source, looking at a faulty source. So verse 3, our new verse we haven't gotten to yet. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so we're talking about God the Father here. And it's always kind of been an strange expression to me when an epistle says, bless God, blessed God, blessed be God. Because he when you and I think about blessings, we tend to think about God sending those down to us. You know, how can I bless God? What can I give to God? And in one sense, nothing. You can't. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. There's nothing that I can give him. Um, but if you look up that word blessed, um, another word that it could be translated is adored. Blessed be God. You have a God who is worthy of your adoration of your love. It's a form of worship. Blessed be God. Love your God. Worship your God. Adore your God. That you can do. Okay? He doesn't need you to do that, but that's what we're called to do. That's what we're created to do. So when it says, blessed be God, it's not that I'm giving God a blessing necessarily, but I am adoring Him as He is worthy. Okay? Adored God. To adore your Father... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy... Who's the His? God the Father. God the Father. Which according to His abundant mercy... That's a whole lot of mercy. Abundant mercy. That's not just a milly smidgen of mercy. That's not just some of the leftover mercy. That's not just the mercy when you're not having a bad day and you know sometimes your kids get a little ornery and you don't really have enough mercy for them. No. This is an abundance of mercy. That's what he's drawing from. Out of his abundance of mercy hath begotten us again. The Father's 
Now, begotten, that's not a word we use very often, but it means born again, right? Begotten to give birth, to create, created us again. Now, we're created physically when we're, you know, conceived and birthed by our natural mothers, but at some point in the life of every one of God's children, they are going to be born again. They're going to be giving spiritual life. Before, you had no spiritual life. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You looked like everyone else in the world, serving yourself and the wickedness out there. You couldn't tell the difference just looking at you. But at some point in your life, the Lord does a work by the Holy Spirit and gives you new life. Right? Gives you new life. How is He able to do that? Well, it's because of the work of Jesus Christ. Right? If Jesus Christ hadn't come, there would be nothing to call us to life to because we would still be dead. Our sins would still be upon us and there would be no hope. All right? But instead... According to His abundant mercy, He hath begotten us again. He's called us to this life unto a lively hope. Lively hope. Put another word in there you may use more often. A living hope. This hope is not dead. Your Savior is not dead. He died, but He rose again. He sits and reigns and lives at the right hand of the Father now, advocating on your behalf, and everything is under His feet. It doesn't seem that way yet. You can't see it the same way that it will be when it's made clear, but he is alive. And you have a living hope. And this hope is not, oh, I hope, you know, my car starts tomorrow, or I hope I win the lottery. You know, sometimes we just use the word hope as like wishing. I kind of wish this would happen. This is not what that word hope means. This hope means I am fully persuaded. Just as much as if I take this glass right here and I drop it, I'm fully persuaded it's going to go down and, and likely shatter, right? Because I'm confident, I've, I've experienced enough gravity to know that when I drop that, it's going to go down. I'm fully persuaded. We have a living hope because of Jesus Christ according to the abundant mercy of God the Father. Right? His mercy by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He was dead. He was made alive. His sacrifice was accepted. It was perfect. God the Father accepted it. And we have a living hope. Because of it, unto a lively hope. And so he's begotten us again by that resurrection unto this lively hope. Lively hope of what? To an inheritance. You have an inheritance. Now, an inheritance is something that's given out when somebody dies, right? Well, Jesus died and he gave an inheritance to you. Now, you don't get the full benefit of it here and now, right? You get an earnest of it, down payment, right? If you put down a down payment on a loan, you have to put down a little bit, right? That's the down payment. When you're born again, that Holy Spirit that goes within you and the faith that's given to you, that's the down payment of your inheritance. But you have the big principle of it, right? You've got to pay off your loan at the end. The big big note, that's the principle, right? That's the big chunk. You ever had a balloon payment? Those are scary, right? You borrow $200,000 and you're paying off a little bit, little bit, and at the end of 10 years, there's a balloon payment. That's the big, the big nugget, right? That's the big inheritance that you have been... Born again to a lively hope, to an inheritance. Okay, now let's describe this inheritance. Incorruptible. These are great descriptions for your inheritance. Incorruptible. Uh, another way you could say that is undecaying. All right. You ever had somebody give you a fruit basket? Those are lovely. You forget about it for about two weeks. Are those still lovely? No. No. Right. It's a gift, but it's decayable. It decays. Right. Fruit. Uh, how about something that lasts a little bit longer? You know, if I give you a big pile of gold, well, that's pretty, that's pretty nice. No one's ever done that. But what eventually happens to gold over time is that rust can eat it all the way. It goes nothing. It's decayable. It's decayable. Your inheritance that He's given you, that you are going to receive in heaven, of eternal life, and to be with God the Father for forever, 
is not decayable. It is undecaying. All right? It won't go away. Incorruptible. All right? Now, not only is it undecaying, it's also undefiled. All right? Undefiled. What's that mean? Well, defiled means soiled. Or undefiled would be pure. Everything you and I do <laughs> is defiled. Right? You ever tried to do something and do it perfectly? Ever happened yet? No! no! <laughs> right? Everything we touch is, is, is impure. There's, there's nothing perfect. But that which He has made for you. Jesus said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you and come back so that you're going to be there with me. It's pure. There's not a smidge of it that is defiled. Right? Not in it and not in us when we're there. Okay? Undecaying and pure. There's no sin. There's no sorrow. There's no grief. There's no taint of mistake or error, because God don't make mistakes, right? And Jesus said, I'm going to come, and I'm going to save my people. That's what the angel said. And he, he shall save His people from their sins. He didn't make any mistakes and miss one. Right. And when He went to prepare a place for you, He didn't, you know, overlook it. Man, I, I've been trying to do, you know, repair work in the trailer. I've discovered that's a little bit harder than in a regular house. Everything in a trailer is just a little bit different, right? You can't just go to Lowe's and get the standard thing. But no matter what I do, it ain't exactly right. <laughs> Sometimes you got to add a little extra caulk and just kind of sand it and move on. Christ didn't do that. Your inheritance that He has prepared for you, that you've been born again to this living hope of what you're looking forward to, is perfect. Amen. It's undefiled. Not only that, that fadeth not away. Alright? Y'all, you ever heard that beauty is fleeting? Right? That it's fading, right? Uh, remember back in ninth grade English, you know? Nothing gold can stay, pony boy. I don't remember what book or whatever it was, but that was the question. Just stuck with it. Nothing gold can stay. Nature's few screen is gold. The hardest hue to hold is early leaves of flower, but only for an hour. The whole idea is that everything about this life is fading. Right? Our whole life, everything we've got, it's like a little flower out in the field. It ain't going to last. Right? Whether the mower comes and gets it or the frost or whatever, it's all fading. Right? We've got a beautiful, glorious, sunshiny day. What's going to happen in a few hours? It's going to end. That light is going to fade. Right? The beauty of youth, it's going to fade. Our mortal lives are going to fade. Right? Everything about this world fades. No fading there. We're not dependent on the sun. For light, right? We're dependent on the, the sun spelled the other way. S-O-N. Lord Jesus. He's there and it's not going to fade away. Okay? Perfect light. Not only that, so an inheritance, incorruptible, undecaying, unsoiled, which is pure, fadeth not away. It's not going to, you know, fade out at the end with no credits. It's perfect light. There's no change. Reserved in heaven for you. Reserved. Reserved means guarded. Guarded from harm, to hold fast, to persevere. Who's doing the guarding? God, right? Not you. Y'all ever seen that Seinfeld bit about taking the reservation? So you can take the reservation, but you can't keep the reservation. <laughs> Silly if you've seen it. But the idea is that in human form, we can do things and guard things, but we can't do it perfectly. Right? We can't even hold someone's restaurant reservation because if somebody more important comes, guess what? We're going to get bumped, right? But this is kept, reserved in heaven, guarded for you by God the Father. It can't be taken away. Okay? He is going to keep it for you. Do you have a lively hope 
this morning in a lovely and wonderful and perfect inheritance? You do! And we don't act like it. (laughs) Oh my goodness, we don't. To an inheritance. He's begotten us into a lively hope, a living hope by the work of Jesus Christ, by His resurrection from the dead, to an inheritance, to this promised inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, it's not just heaven itself. It's to be there with Him and in the glorified body. Everything about it is perfect. Okay? Now, that's that's then. Verse 4 is kind of then. What are you looking for? What's that lively hope then? How about the now? Verse 5. Who are kept. Well, who's the who? Who's the who? Who's you? You are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. All right. You are not dependent on you. That's really hard for us to wrap our head around. I'm I'm independent. I can do what I want. I'm going to make sure I can handle it. You think you can. It's it's an illusion. You are being kept, guarded, preserved, protected by God. Through His power. He's he's the one with the strength. He's the one with the might. He's the one doing the work. How do you feel that and experience that and understand that in your life? Through the channel of faith. He gives you faith. Okay? And through that, His power is holding you up. He's doing all the work and you're experiencing it through faith. You are kept through faith. Alright? He is protecting you. That word kept literally means to be a watcher in advance. Alright? He knows in advance what's coming through and He is guarding you from it. Alright? There's nothing that gets beyond His guard. He's not like a century... You know, human centuries, we, we, get, we get tired, we get distracted, we fall asleep. Right? No. He's perfect. He knows. He is guarding you. You are being kept by God's power through faith. Now, how long is He going to keep you who are kept by the power of God through faith? Unto salvation. That's your duration. How long is He going to keep you? Unto salvation. The end, right? Whether you're dead or Christ has come back, that's how long He's going to keep you. All right. This is not like here's your one year contract. You better renew, otherwise you're going to be in trouble. All right. No. This is He is keeping you all the way to salvation. All right. Do you have something to rejoice in this morning? Absolutely. Which verse six says, "Wherein ye greatly rejoice." You're rejoicing. What are you rejoicing in? Well, you're rejoicing that He's giving you new life. He's giving you an inheritance that is uncorruptible, un- unfading, and undefiled. It's pure. Reserved in heaven for you. So, you're alive now. You've got this wonderful inheritance in the future. What else are you rejoicing in? That He's keeping you now. Right? you got a lot to rejoice in. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation. Now, that word greatly rejoice, I didn't write it down, but um, I believe when I looked up in Strong's that literally greatly rejoice, the idea is... Jumping. <laughs> Jumping for joy. Right, y'all ever seen a first-time grandma find out that her, somebody's going to have a baby? What happens? Their hands start going and they start... <laughs> right? Jumping for joy, right? You, you greatly rejoice. All right? You've got great things to rejoice in. Now, here's a caveat. 
wherein ye greatly rejoice that he has given you new life unto a lively hope of the inheritance that's waiting for you, that's reserved, that's perfect, that's undefiled, that doesn't fade away, and that he's keeping you now by his power, which you feel through the faith that he gives you, all the way to salvation, right? There's, there's no gaps in here. There's no gap coverage, you know? Everything about insurance. Well, you've got to fill this gap, right? Well, we'll cover up to here, but you've got to fill this and pay us some more. No. There's no gaps. He did the work, and he's keeping you now, and he's taking you to there. <laughs> right? It's great. Wonderful. Unto a lively hope. You're greatly rejoicing, though now for a season, a time, a period, an age, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. All right, you've got seasons of heaviness. Do we have seasons of heaviness in our life? Yes. You better believe it. Right? If you think that you're past the seasons of heaviness, there's probably one just around the corner. Right. All right. What's a season of heaviness? Heaviness literally means uh, to distress, um, to be in grief, to grieve, to be in sorrow. Seasons of heaviness. Through what? Manifold temptations. Manifold literally means motley. We don't use that word very often. How about diverse? Various in character or nature. That we can have a lot thrown at us that looks a lot different. It can be hard, right? And temptations. Now, this is not the temptations of where I'm just struggling to avoid a sin. This temptation, this word means putting to the test. Putting to a proof. You ever gone through chemistry and you're testing different things to see what happens, see what's going to hold up, right? Well, we have times where we're tested, where we're put to the proof and see what happens, okay? We're, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Why? Why are we going through this? What, what's the purpose? Through heaviness, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, right? We talked about gold that decays and fades away. Gold perishes, that your faith, which is much more precious than that, might, well, though it be tried with fire, that your faith, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Okay? Your faith, the faith that God gives you, the faith that God through His strength sustains you with, he is going to test you, test it, refine it through these trials. Are they going to be fun, happy experiences? No. Most likely no. <laughs> Should you expect to be experiencing fun and happiness during them? Probably not. Can you get to the point where you can rejoice in them because you can see what he's doing? Yeah, you can. But here, it's a, you're in manifold heaviness. You're, you're in a time of grief and sorrow. It's unpleasant to go through but there's a purpose that the trial of your faith, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and, and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Alright. I was encouraged to give more illustrations. So I've got an illustration. We'll see if it works. Anyone ever seen a billboard? Okay. They tend to be held up by a pole, right? Okay. Now let's imagine that you climb that billboard. I know what paper streamers are from like a little kid's birthday party. Let's say you start taping paper streamers to the edge of that billboard, all right, and dropping down to the ground. Okay. So you got ten or fifteen of them. What are those streamers likely doing in the wind? Blowing like crazy. All right. So here's here's the illustration. If that billboard is your life, the pillar that's actually holding it up is the power of God through faith. 
the streamers that you put up there that you think are holding you up, but really are not, are things like your job, your money, your power, your influence, your respect from others, your health, your freedom, your self-confidence, your independence, your country, your government, your family, whatever it is that you think that if I don't have this, I'm going to fall. They're all illusions. They're not holding you up. God can take all those things away and show you which is really holding you up. Where's the pillar? The power of God through your faith. Right? That's what's actually holding you up. He can take away your family. He can take away your job. He can take away all your worldly assets, all your power. He can make you shameful and scorned and hated. He can throw you in prison. And you can still see that He is still faithful and that you are not going to fall because you are kept by Him. Right? We've got that song about the storms of life are raging. Right? So imagine we've got Hurricane Michael coming through and you got wind and you got waves and you got fire and you got all this going through. What's going to happen to those paper streamers? <laughs> right? They're gone! But you've got a solid foundation kept by the power of God through faith. You don't have to fall. You won't fall because you're kept by Him. Okay? That's the idea that's being gone through in this trial of your faith. It's showing you that you don't need those other things to be okay. That God has got you. And as He goes and breaks you through those trials and things are taken away and you are able to see the truth, at the end, you will see that your faith, as it's been purged and purified and gone through this hard time, you've got a better understanding of who God is and what He's doing. Your faith will be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Because you can get there and say, Lord, you did it all! It wasn't me! Right? That's very different than get to my life of, look what I've built. Why, how successful I've been. I have structured all these things to hold up my life. Who gets the praise in that? We're trying to take it for ourselves. And, and we may use wood-colored streamers so they look very sturdy. <laughs> right? Maybe in cinder block. Whatever. We can do it so we, we can convince ourselves. <laughs> We're good at that. But He's really the one who's holding you up. right? And if all of that is taken away... He's still there, and He's still got you. Okay? Found under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love. How do you love Him? Because He's given you faith in Him. God the Father gave you faith in His Son, whom you've never met. Right? These are strangers. These are not people who are in the church. Uh, they're at Acts early. They didn't see Jesus when He was walking. They didn't see Him after the resurrection. There were some who did, right? Paul said it was uh, 500 who saw Him within that 40-day period after the resurrection. So there were people alive at this point who had seen Him. He said, you're not one of them. <laughs> but you love Him. Whom having not seen, ye love. That's a miracle. If you love Jesus Christ, that's a miracle. You love Him because He loved you first, right? Whom having not seen, uh, ye love. In whom, though now you see Him not. So you didn't see Him before. And you're not seeing Him now. One day you will. Though you see Him not now, yet believing. How do you believe? Because God gives you the ability to believe. It's that faith. You're kept by the power of God through faith. He gets the credit. If you love Jesus and you believe in Him, it's by God. Right? You rejoice. You rejoice. Rejoicing at Jesus Christ. 
at the glory and the appearing of Jesus Christ, who, having not seen you love, in whom, though you see him not presently, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That might be the rejoice that was the clapping, the, the, the jumping for joy. Rejoice with joy unspeakable. That, 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 that unspeakable, that's, that's unutterable. You ever been so happy you just can't? <laughs> right? You've been so happy sometimes you just can't even form words. That's the rejoicing. That's the joy that we have in Jesus Christ and the lively hope that He's begotten us to. And the inheritance that won't pass away and that He's keeping us by His mighty power now. You have something to rejoice in. And not just a little bit of joy, but it's full of glory. It is a, amen, it is a glorious joy. This is not just... You know, we've got we got some popcorn for Christmas. Well, that's nice. I'm happy. I enjoy popcorn. That's just you know, that, that's a little bit of this is big. This is a big deal. This is full of glory. This is a glorious truth, and God has rendered it that inexpressible joy that is glorious. Y'all, we should not be a dour or depressed or discouraged people, right? Right? You have a lively hope by the work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Father who is sustaining you now unto that inheritance that doesn't pass away. Y'all, if you are sorry and discouraged and low down in the dumps right now, you're focusing on the wrong thing. You're discouraged that your streamers ain't hanging straight. <laughs> one blew off or one caught on fire. Faith may be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So when He returns, your faith is glorifying Him. And what are you receiving then? Receiving the end of your faith. What is that? The salvation of your souls. The deliverance. That's what He's bought and paid for. And that's when you'll receive it fully. When He appears. Receiving. That receiving there means to take care. To tend. It's being taken care of. It's being tended for you. At the end of your faith, what's the end? Well, that means the goal, the definition, the, 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 the end point, the termination of your faith. You know, Grand Central Terminal, not Grand Central Station, because that's the end of the line, right? That's where your faith doesn't have to go any farther, because then faith is going to be sight, right? Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, right? The things that are unseen, the substance of things that are unseen. Faith is real, faith is substantial, right? And it is what gives you the confidence and the encouragement and the daily grace. That's how God feeds you is through that faith that He gives you of that He is continuing to sustain you. He is not going to let you fall. There's nothing you can do that can pluck yourself out of the hand of God. Right? You ain't that strong. You ain't that clever. Right? He's bigger and better than you can imagine. Okay? He is sustaining you. To the end where Jesus Christ appears receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now how... How amazing is this salvation and how you know important is it to learn about it? Well, back in the Old Testament, verse 10 says, Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. This was not an open message in the Old Testament. Right? The word that we have, it, it, it wasn't fully cracked open so you could see it. I mean, there was little glimpses and types and shadows and it was all pointing to this bigger picture, but the bigger picture was still hidden. Okay, and those prophets—they were—they were men of God. God used them to speak their word, and yet 
They didn't fully get it. They wanted to. They're studying what they had been given and what had come before, and they're they're you know inquired. They're seeking seeking it out. That other means to investigate, to search out for inquire, to search diligently means to explore, to seek out. You see this over and over again. Searching diligently, you know, and they're prophesying. Those who had prophesied of the grace. Prophesy means to speak under inspiration. God had given them these words, and it's pointing to this this wonderful grace that should come, that should come unto you and to come unto. I. And they're searching. Searching what? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify. So they're looking in the old things that they've had to prophesy and trying to figure out what is Christ going to be like? When is He going to come? They're trying to see this picture that you're blessed to have plain and expanded upon. And that's the beauty of the New Testament is that it explains what Christ, what God was doing in the Old Testament. How it was pointing to Christ. All right? So they're, they're searching it out and they want to know which was in them that did signify, when it testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. Okay, testified beforehand. This is a really interesting word. If you look up the definition in Strong's, it means to be a witness in advance. All right? Now, I've been a witness to a car accident. You're always a witness after it happens, right? But when God, He's being a witness in advance, He's given these people... These prophets, inspired words, so that they are witnessing in advance what Christ was going to do. The suffering that he was going to go through and the glory that should be followed. Was it completely plain? No, it was veiled. And it was narrow and hidden, so they're searching it out. But this is the salvation that you plainly know about. This is something that you have to rejoice in this morning. right? They really wanted to know! And in their whole lives, they didn't get the full picture. Okay? Under, uh, which should testify beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. Not only the glory of His resurrection, but the glory of the inheritance. I mean, at Jesus' time, there were people who were still arguing, is there going to be a resurrection? Right? It wasn't like they it was plainly understood. That was the whole thing about the Sadducees. Sadducees didn't believe that there was angels. They didn't believe that there was going to be a resurrection. I mean, they, they, were, they were way off base, but they had the Old, Old Testament. They were, they were confused about it, right? Unto whom it was revealed, these, these things and types and shadows revealed on the prophets, that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister to things which are now reported unto you by them that preach the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. So here is the, the opening up of that book where the Holy Spirit, that great teacher of the truth, is teaching the apostles and the early church, and he's saying, this is what I was doing here, here, and here, and here. And these people have been able to hear the truth and plainly. And so, yeah, those prophets had to write it, but here it is. The explanation is now. And you're included in that now that we have the full written word. It says, uh, unto you from the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Right? Even the angels didn't understand what God was doing. Right? They're there. They're His messenger. They're sending... You know, notes out to this person, going to Daniel, whatever. They wanted to see, okay, this whole ball of wax that God's God planned is bigger than you know, even an angel's mind, right? They want to look, and that word look into means to literally peer into. Imagine that time when they took off uh, the cover of the ark, didn't go so well for them, and they looked inside, like 30,000 people died, don't do that. But you know, looking into, maybe the, maybe the shepherd's going over and looking into the manger. They wanted to peer into and study it. It says that's what the angels... This is so great and so amazing that even it captures the angel's attention. This is the salvation, the knowledge of it that's worthy of all this time and attention and devotion. Is it worthy of our time to read our Bibles? Yes! yes! Right? 
Wherefore? Oh, wherefore. All right, whenever we see a wherefore in the Bible, it means because. So because of all the things I just said before, something has to happen. Because, because of all that. Blessed be the God and Father. I mean, that's, that's the message, right? Blessed be, adore the Father, who by His abundant mercy has given you a lively hope. Right? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're living, you've got spiritual life, and unto a loving inheritance that's coming, it's undefiled, it's undeclined, it won't go away, and He's keeping you now, even though you're going through trials and tribulations, it's for your good, it's going to show the faith, the power of God that He's going to use in your faith, all those things, all the way up to salvation. And that salvation is really important as a look back in the Old Testament where they really, really cared, and even the angels care. Because of all that, because of what great things you have to rejoice in, and what God has done, and how holy He is, wherefore, you need to do something. All, right? all this has been praising God and saying what He's done. Here it is of, okay, application. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. That is not an expression you will find in South Georgia. Okay, so what does it mean? Well, what are loins? Lord, look, your loins are your hips. All right? Now imagine you're living back in the day where you wore long, flowing robes. All right? And you needed to run a race. You're going to run that race very well if you've got robes and stuff all around your feet. You know, try running you know, like with your shoelaces untied. It doesn't work so well. Okay, that's something you could equate it to. Tying your shoelaces. You've got you know, big hunting boots with all the laces, and they're just flying everywhere. Are you going to fall on your face? Yes. Eventually, right? So the idea of girding up your loins is to take all those extra folds of cloth, hike them up, tuck them in your belt, so you're ready to go. Right? So you don't get tripped. So you don't splatter on your face. But this is not just talking about us going out and running 5Ks, right? Oh, I'm glad it doesn't say that. <laughs> Gird up the loins of your mind. Any of you ever use the expression, well, my imagination, my imagination ran away with me. You get to worrying, caring about something, upset, game planning out the future of the next year or month or 10 years, Right? And things suddenly get really awful because you see all the bad things that are going to happen, right? Or you imagine, right? Your imagination carried you away. This is the opposite of that. This is having your mind in control, right? Being diligent and purposeful, ready to run a race for the Lord with your mind under control, okay? Gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and hope to the end. So you've got three different instructions here. Wherefore? Because of what great things God has done and given you a lively birth unto an inheritance that's not going to go away, right? And He's going to keep you by His power even through all the trials and tribulations that are good for you. But it's going to show the power of His might through your faith and it's going to take away the things that you think you depend upon. Gird up the loins of your mind to go through those trials. To keep the focus on what is real and what is not. What is a streamer blowing in the wind and what is the real pillar holding me up? Gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Be sober. And hope to the end. Alright, sober. Looked it up in the Oxford Dictionary. Literally, to abstain from wine. Okay. Also has the idea of being discreet or showing discernment. Okay. To show discernment in the guidance of one's own speech and actions to be judicious or circumspect or cautious. So those are all the various definitions that can come up with being, being sober. But the idea is that you are going to be moderate in your temperament, not quickly provoked, not quickly led astray. You're going to be in control, self-control, 
not led to excess, whether in appetites or in conduct or in speech or in thought, but having it in. Having your body under control, your mind under control, keeping your focus on the real, on the eternal, on what Christ has done and where He's taking you to. Because it is very easy for our carnal mind to be standing on the edge of our billboard looking at all those streamers and we're just falling apart. One blown away, one's on fire, one's all wet. How am I going to replace it? I'll never make it. Right? To be distressed and yet throughout that we're hoping all the way to the end. Right? The end of our death at Jesus' return when we receive that salvation, that, that grace that these who prophesied long ago wanted to know what it was about Hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's going to be the best homecoming you can imagine. Right? Christ comes and His glorified bodies. Sin is gone and it begins eternity. It's perfect. Undecaying, unfading away. It's pure. It's not sullied. You can't mess it up. It's great. That's what we're hoping towards. That's what we're looking towards. That's where our mind is focused. Right? In Hebrews, it used the expression of looking unto Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our, of our faith. Right? Where is your focus in the beginning? That was talking about running the race, laying down all the weights and sin that just so easily beset us, looking unto Jesus. Right? Our focus is on Him. Not just on Sunday mornings, not just on Wednesday nights, but all the time. In this course of conduct I'm about to do, is this glorifying to God? Is this sober-minded or am I getting kind of off track and a little bit crazy? Right? Sometimes when we make decisions in our rashness, right, we're not pleasing God. We're worried about trying to tape up those streamers and make sure that everything that we've built continues to look like how we expect it ought to be built. And we're focusing on the wrong things. Grow up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When's the fulfillment of all that grace going to be? Well, when Jesus comes. And it's going to be amazing. Now, in the meantime, so that wherefore, these are things you're doing now. He's still sustaining you by His power through faith, right? He's doing that. But He still called you to engage in a manner of how you're going to serve Him, right? As obedient children. Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. What's that talking about? That's talking about before you were born again, when you were still dead in trespasses and sins, and so you still, if you liked it, and it was going to please your body, or please your belly, or please your mind, whether it glorified God or not, you didn't care. He wasn't on your radar. You went after it. That was your former self. That's the old man. That's the man you still got to struggle with, because he's still going to want those things. But you have new life within you, the spiritual man that wants the better things, that wants to serve God. Don't fashion yourself after the old. Think about your life as a a sculpture, and you're kind of sanding it. Are you going to sand it so it looks more like Jesus? Are you going to sand it so it looks more like somebody in Hollywood? Because they're nasty, vile. But by many standards, they've got all the things that in the world you want, right? Money, power, influence, cars, houses, whatever it is that you're chasing after, you go look at Hollywood, they probably have it. Are you fashioning your life with a little bit of sandpaper here and there and there to look more like that in the world? Are you trying to look like your Lord and Savior? Loving, not serving of self, but serving others. 
meek and humble, not full of pride and arrogant, full of the Holy Ghost and serving His Father's will at all times, even when it cost Him His life, He was still obedient unto death. Who are you fashioning yourself like? So it's called to be obedient, as obedient children, not fashioning ourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as He which hath called you is holy. Who's that talking about? God, God the Father, He's holy. He is a holy God, pure, undefiled. Hallowed be thy name. Set apart, sacred, holy, 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 holy. As He is holy, He's called you. Called you. He's holy. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Does your holiness merit His love? Do I have to be holy to earn His love? No, Bubba, you can't be holy enough. Right? But because He loved you, and because He gave you new life and has shown you what He's promised you and how He's sustaining you now, you jolly well need to be holy in all manner of conversation. That conversation is not just limited to what you speak. That conversation word means your whole manner of life. Everything. Every aspect. Every moment. Be ye holy. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And that's quoting back in Leviticus 11 and 44. It is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. When he was calling the Israelites, he was saying, You're going to be a different people. I've called you. I'm a holy God. You're going to be a holy people. Now, they didn't live up to it. right? And the covenant that he made with them was dependent upon their behavior. right? If they didn't follow through, then he was going to cut them off. And there's going to be consequences. And, and that happened over and over and over and over again. Y'all, we're under a better covenant. A covenant of grace where the only one whose merits are being considered is the merit of Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life and was willing to take upon all your sins and all the consequences for it on His body. He who knew no sin became sin for you. Okay? And that's probably enough for chapter 1 for today. Thank y'all for your time and attention.